Hi, and welcome to VChat number three. Uh, today, myself, Eric, and uh, David Davis from Train Signal Videos are going to be talking about home labs. But first of all, Eric's got a update uh, for us from the uh, topic of last week on uh, power management within the ESX. Yeah, I guess we could talk a little bit about the uh, the power management feature of, of ESX. It's uh, new to version 4.1. And um, I actually did a, a bit of a post on it on my website that kind of went in some details on how it works and how to change some of the settings to enable it and that. And th there's not a lot of documentation on it from VMware itself that really covers how to use the feature, configure and set it up in that. So I was kind of going on what I had learned in the, um, the release candidate and what I learned from some VMware engineers, um, you know, during the, the beta process. But I got an update from um, someone at VMware. I think he's one of the VMware engineers. And um, he basically sent me an email just to kind of clarify the uh, displaying the host and the VM power usage. And his clarification was the feature of displaying the, the host power consumption, now this is for the host, is not experimental and it's always on, but will always will will display zero watts if the host is not supported or does not have a power meter. And um, he's basically going on to say hopefully most people should not have to edit that uh, that sensor's VMware file to get support for their host. Um, but if you do, he had actually sent me instructions, which I'll, I'll post to my website, and he had in there kind of listed all the major manufacturers. So I think with the RC um, or with the, the beta versions, they only had uh, like a Fujitsu server in there, and when they yeah. finally went for the, the GA, they added all the other vendors. Um, like here, the one I'm looking at has uh, NEC, Hewlett Packard, Dell, Fujitsu, Mitsubishi, Toshiba. So um, I'll post it on my uh, my website later on. It basically has all the examples for all the um, other manufacturers. So the host piece is supported, not experimental, and is on by, on, on by default. But the VM the feature where it shows the, uh, the power consumption per VM, that is considered experimental, and that is off by default. And that uh, advanced configuration option that we talked about last um, last week is how you enable it so you can actually see the, uh, the power consumption per VM. So you can see the host stuff by default, but if you want to see the VM stuff, you got to enable that, and it is considered kind of experimental at this point. Yeah. So it sounds like there might be a hardware requirement on the server to, to allow for this sort of uh, information to be read off the board. Yeah, I think it's the IPMI stuff. It's got to have the, the IPMI sensors for the power supplies. Right, right. So for a lot of people out there running home labs, for example, running desktop PCs, they're not going to uh, be able to take advantage of this. Uh, chances yeah, are. in a lot of yeah. cases of the white boxes, you probably not. Yeah, something to bear in mind. Okay, so today's topic is on home labs. Um, I think a topic very near and dear to uh, all of our hearts. So, uh, so you guys, I mean, I, I run a uh, VC lab uh, home here. I've been running it for quite some time now. Um, and I take it both you run labs as well. Um, maybe uh, let's start with David. David, do you want to just give us a quick uh, overview of what's, what you run at home in your uh, own vSphere lab environment there? Yeah, absolutely, Simon. Um, I started with uh, just VMware Workstation, really, and just a PC and then running, you know, ESX underneath um, as a virtual machine and workstation, and then starting up maybe like another virtual machine to run um, a, a VSA like OpenFiler. In fact, I recorded one of my whole videos just using um, like four virtual machines, like one for virtual center, two for two ESX servers, and one um, as OpenFiler for my shared storage. And you can really do a lot, you know, with that just right there. Um, but over time, I, I felt like I needed more, you know, horsepower and wanted to run more and more virtual machines, which wasn't going to happen, you know, as a virtual machine underneath a virtual machine in workstation. Um, so I bought a couple uh, Dell T610s, 
which are kind of their low-end, you know, SMB server. But but it is um, it does have Intel VT on it, you know, so and it is uh, compatible with like fault tolerance and um, and then after that later I upgraded and got a, an iOmega the uh, iX4 200D which has been really nice and so now I use that um, as an iSCSI you know storage array and um, can do just about anything I want with just two servers and that small NAS. So yeah, that's excellent. I I I pretty much went the same path around storage as yourself there. I mean, I, I used to run VMs locally, um, but over time, you know, I started sort of delving into shared storage. I, I personally found OpenFile a brilliant and ran that for for a, a long period of time. Um, it just so happened as I, I was over in the states and I was going around a large appliance store over there, and they had the uh, the IX4 200s on on special over there. And with the um, UK conversion rate being so uh, attractive at the time, uh, I took the plunge and never looked back ever since. Actually, so I run my entire uh, entire environment at home here of my uh, IX4. Same here. That's the one I use. It's um, it's a great little unit. I like it a lot. I was looking to add another one um, to kind of add a little bit more diversity, you know, to have other units kind of, um, you know, play with in that. So at some point I'll probably add a, another, um, you know, maybe a Synology or look at a couple other brands um, like the Netgears and that. They all have some pretty good stuff. So, But they have that model is perfect. It does iSCSI. It does NFS. Um, it provides you know, reasonable good performance in that. Um, it's not, you know, you're not going to run a, a big exchange server on it, but it's perfect for a, a home lab or a small environment. Um, does, you know, decent performance in that. and has a lot of great features, so I'm pretty happy with it. Now, Eric, you did an article um, for one of the Tech Target sites about uh, different home labs and SMB storage options. How did you do that, and, and what did it cover? Yeah, basically that was for uh, searchsmbstorage.com. And what I did was kind of cover, I kind of classified the devices in a couple classes. Um, the, the, the lower, low-end class, I, I went with under 5000 so any devices that kind of were under that price tag. Um, and I stuck with that. I initially was going to go with more of the, uh, the middle tiers, that, you know, between like the five and 15000 like the HP MSAs and that. But I stuck with the lower ones just uh, to keep the article in you know, a reasonable length. And um, so what I covered was from the all the way real small units down to like the little two-drive, whether it's an iOmega, um, you know, even Synology, uh, uh, Netgear and all those have um, a lot of those little units, all the way up to some of the bigger units that were at the high end of that $5,000 price range, like the, uh, the newly released uh, iOmega, the iX12, which has 12 drives and a lot more uh, enterprise-type features than the iX4 does, and uh, some of the other bigger units from um, uh, Netgear and I think was uh, Overland Storage, I think was another one, and... Uh, HP, some of their uh, their X line of series um, that are kind of their HP is lower end. The X 500 and under are all run the uh, the Windows um, kind of the Windows Media software on it, so it doesn't really do um, iSCSI and that. So their their higher end models are are more of uh, do iSCSI and NFS, the X 1000 and that. So I kind of focus on that. that that's right around the five thousand dollar range. But um, so I covered basically a, a wide range of the different storage devices, and um, we can post a link to that. But really, kind of went through and kind of compared them all, whether they were supported on the, the vSphere hardware, um, hardware compatibility guide or not, um, whether they had iSCSI, whether they had NFS, kind of their cost, and uh, things like that. Just uh, you know, it's a good comparison if people are looking to buy one of those units. Um, they can kind of see at a glance kind of what each one provides. Yeah, I thought that was a really yeah, good, good article. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I enjoyed reading that when you uh, first published it there. Definitely very good. So around servers, I mean, what, what do you guys run? What's your preference? Do you, do you prefer running a, a white box that you build yourself from going down to the local uh, store or, you know, computer fair, assembling your own and then running it? Or do you go for uh, more like uh, a desktop-type arrangement, maybe entry-level server, or maybe you've sort of rescued a couple of old uh, enterprise servers from the... Uh, from the skip at work after a hardware refresh. Um, what, what's, what are you running around that, and what's your preference? Well, in my case, um, I started out with um, building a white box, which um, I was going to use for workstation and then kind of running VMs on that. So I, I built a pretty high-end white box. I kind of compared some of the features of the pre-built units, like the, the Dells and the HPs, but they didn't have exactly all the components I wanted, and to kind of make them... Um, suitable for, for use with workstation in that, in, in that environment. I'd have to do some changes to them. You know, typically for that environment, you don't need a, a high-end video card and stuff like that and DVD burners and that. So I bought the, went with the white box and I, I did a lot of research around the processor, um, and the motherboard and memory and things like that. And I ended up with, um, going with the Intel, um, the Core i7. Um, great processors, really powerful. The i7-920 was the one I chose, which was pretty reasonably priced at the time. It was only, you could find them for about anywhere from $200 to $250. And the good thing about that is, is, um, it's got a, it's a four core processor, but it also has hyper-threading. So essentially have, uh, you know, eight CPUs to use, uh, with, with workstation and that. So, um, and you got to pair it up with the right motherboard I did with, uh, that run DDR3 memory and that. And the big thing with motherboards was, with the white boxes is most of them you're limited to four slots and um, using two gig dims you're only limited to about eight gig total um, those four gig dims just are outrageously priced and not really worth it so I found one that had six slots so I was able to get up to um, 12 gig total which was, was pretty decent for workstation it gave me a lot of RAM to work with and that so that was for that I, you know I kind of grew out of that after you know a few months I wanted with the white box, you've got to be careful that it doesn't support a lot of the features, you know, like the um, some of the things like uh, VM Direct Path and some other features that require specific hardware options. So I went with, when looking around at uh, kind of the low-end server market, the name brand market, and I looked at Dell, I looked at IBM, um, and then I finally chose HP, uh, mainly because um, based off the hardware compatibility guide, their lower-end servers had um, most of the features that I could use, you know, things like fault tolerance, VM direct pass. I don't want yeah. to play with and that. That for some of the other brands, I had to go up a little bit more to be able to get some of that stuff. Um, I stuck with Intel. Um, the main reason for that was the, the server I actually chose was the HP ML ML 110 G6. Um, yeah. But well, the reason I chose Very Intel important. was because uh, VM direct path really only works with Intel right now. You can't the, the AMD the IO MMU isn't out yet. I think it's finally coming out with the the Proliant the uh, G7 line and that. So I wanted that feature to be able to try that and play with it. You know, well, I probably wouldn't use it all that much. There's but. one thing around that, Eric, is the, um, I mean, I, I don't think it's common knowledge out there. So you uh, entry-level HP servers, you've got the ML1110 and, and the AMD-based 115s. So the 115s, it looks like they're going end of life with this uh, current G5 model. Um, okay. So, unfortunately, yeah, end of the road, which is a shame because price-wise, uh, they, they were offering the quad-core version far far before the uh, uh, the, the, the ML110 G5s were and, and for a much more competitive price. So, um, I've been running a couple of home here for a while and uh, great little boxes, but they're pretty much 
end of life now um, with the 115 series. So the 110 G6, which you have, uh, will definitely be paving the way in a, paving the way, uh, in, a, in a lot of uh, home labs around the world, I'd imagine. Yeah, and the price was good because I got it, I think, for around 550 for um, kind of the bare-bones box with, you know, hard drive and everything else. Um, but obviously you got to... You want to add memory, you want to add NICs and stuff like that, and that's where it can get pretty pricey. You can pay, you know, almost as much as you did for the server just for adding that stuff and that. So, um, you know, I pretty much got all mine up to 8 gig, and then um, I got uh, two um, dual-port NICs, so I got a total of uh, five NICs in each of them and that. And with that ML110G6, you got to be careful because it comes in about four different processor arrangements that you can buy all the way from the i3 now. Uh, to the 5430, the 5440, um, yep. but not all those are covered with fault tolerance. So if you want to use fault tolerance, you actually got to make sure you, you choose your processor right. I went with the 5440, which had the extra advantage of having hyper-threading, which also yep. gave me those uh, additional you know um, threads or cores to play with. Well, most of the G6 models are in there, and the, uh, the M0110 series are the 5530 CPU, so I think a lot of people buy them thinking they're going to get the hyper-threading as well. Um, so to actually get the, uh, the, um, the, the hyper-threading model, the one you've got there is, uh, I mean, at least here in the UK, I'm finding it a lot harder to get hold of. Um, okay. So yeah, that's kind of 5440. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of research on making sure that I didn't want to buy this thing and found out I couldn't use it with a certain feature. So I spent a lot of time making sure every little thing, you know, all the way from, um, you know, the VM Direct Path stuff to the, the fault tolerance and all those features. Um, and I wanted all the power stuff to work. Um, we're present on that. So um, you really should do your homework um, when you're looking at that. And I, I actually published a couple articles on that that basically kind of detailed both my um, the white box I built for um, use with the workstation and the um, the, uh, the ML110s, that whole stuff, all the how I went through and kind of the methodology I, I used to choose the hardware I chose. Yeah, yeah. No, very good boxes. I mean, they're sound. I mean, mine have been running here 24-7 for probably the last year, easily year and a half, <laughs> with, with, with the slightly older ones. So, so what about you, David? What, what's your preference when it comes to servers well, for, for the uh, home I app, mean, that is? I started off, you know, building a white box server and, you know, I, I think I had good experiences with that, and then I also had not so good experiences with that when, you know, maybe I didn't do my research completely or I made a rush purchase or whatever. And um, later, you know, kind of like Eric, I, I really wanted to make sure on my next server purchase that I was able to use all the advanced features of vSphere. So, you know, I basically went off the hardware compatibility guide, and I was ple- I was really pleasantly surprised at um, the low price of a server, you know, that I found that was still on the hardware compatibility guide and could do everything. And I compared that to, you know, like the white box server I was looking to build, you know, maybe for a thousand bucks. And, um, you know, the, the Dell server I was looking at was like 1400 and it, you know, it had eight gigs of Ram and it looked like it was going to be able to do everything. So I thought it was a, a, a better option, um, just to get that comfort, you know, to know it's on the HC, HCL or HGG and, um, uh, you know, could do everything. That I really wanted, so. Yeah, they're a nice entry-level little server. I mean, they're quite comparable, aren't they, to the uh, the ML110s and 115s in uh, specification and features, and also chipsets as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And the big thing with those two is they're quiet. You don't have the big uh, noise jet engine type noise you have on some of those bigger <laughs> servers and that. So for a home lab, you know, if it's an office or whatever, or even in your dining room, you know, it's not going to be generating a lot of noise in that. Was they're just nice and really quiet and perform real well. Yeah. 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 I think there's something that catches a lot of people out. You know, I mean, they get these secondhand servers from work and think, brilliant. You know, yeah. 
I've got these servers from work, and I'll, I'll take them home, and they put them in their home office or in the corner of their lounge, you know, and uh, 